0: All who see me mock me. They make their mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in the Lord. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Those are the first 11 verses of Psalm 22, which is the psalm appointed for today, Good Friday, April the 15th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We only have two lessons today. We don't read an epistle uh, on Good Friday, just so you'll know, um, because it's written after the resurrection, and so we... <clears throat> There's it's less to reflect on in some ways. We want to focus our attention today just on the crucifixion, and so that's the whole point of Good Friday. We would we would come in and the, and there would be very little as far as decoration is concerned in the church. the The cross would be veiled with um, black, uh, and so that would that would have happened the night before at the end of the Maundy Thursday service. We would have stripped the altar and everything out of there of all adornment, and then put the uh, the veil over the cross in that way to signify the death of Christ. Um, we don't want to get the the way the liturgy is set up is you don't want to get too far ahead essentially um, it it's one of the frustrating things, I guess is is that that formerly people were able to go to their parish church because it was close at hand and so people would come to all these services they would come to the the uh, Monday Thursday service the Good Friday service perhaps a Holy Saturday service and then maybe the Easter vigil and then Easter as well but the problem is is that that as things changed the way that we we go to church changed and so we we no longer expect people to be there for all those services and and that to me is a a sad, sad statement. So, um, what we do is we collapse the entire thing into um, Palm Sunday. Primarily, we we read the entire Passion Gospel at that time. We just we're too ADD <laughs> in some ways to focus on on one thing at a time. And it's important always that we reflect on the crucifixion. We don't just jump forward into resurrection. It's important for us to spend time thinking about the crucifixion and what's going on there and that that Jesus laid down his life as a willing sacrifice and that the Father didn't intervene and that Jesus didn't use his considerable powers to change things. I mean, the greatest temptation had to have been at the cross as he endured all the pain and the suffering and knew that death was imminent, and, and yet there are people there who are still mocking him. And saying you know you saved others now save yourself if you're truly who you say you are then come down from that cross and that'll be the final sign and we'll believe and and that belief wouldn't be of any efficacy at all because he would have failed and so success in jesus's earthly ministry and mission includes the cross it's the only way to get to resurrection and so when he said Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Whoever loves his life will lose it. And if you hate your life, you'll gain it for eternal life. He shows the way to do that. It's not just theory, and it's not just some uh, nice teaching that, that sounds you know sort of psychological. So if you, don't, if, you, if you just lay down your life in a psychological way, um, you can still do everything you wanted to do. But Jesus meant it quite Literally to be willing to lay down your life and, and to say, I have no claim on my life anymore. My my life was purchased by the blood of Christ. And, I, and I'm to take the same attitude towards my life that he took towards his, which is to be an offering and a sacrifice to God, to lay it down before him. And in the on this day, we read the Genesis passage from Genesis 22, 1 to 14, and, and it's the binding of Isaac. So after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, you know, the, I, I read this to a group of older men when I first came here to Asheville, and we were studying the book of Genesis, and we came to this passage, and, and these guys were all retired, and, and so they had time. They would come and, and be part of the Bible study on Wednesday and, and pretty much anything else we ever did. These guys were always there, and I appreciated them for that. But... God wanted more, and he wants more from you, and he wants more from me, always. It, it's, you, you read this thing, and, and so when I read this, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, my response was, you know, this really pisses me off. And they're just looking at me like, what are you talking about? And my response was, you know, this man is um, 100 and some odd years old. God made him wait 25 years to have the son that he promised him, and now he's testing him? And my thing was, you know, just let that old man be give him a break but that's not how it is god wants more and more from us and he wants us to know him more and more and so here when he tests abraham one of the things that that he shows is that 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 it proves at least is that abraham doesn't understand god completely yet and the reason i say that is abraham answers here am i And he said, he, God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. So at some level, he, he believes that, that he's, does he believe that he's worshiping a God who could ask for a child sacrifice, particularly this child, the one that he gave him? I mean, he's already had to do a similar kind of thing and send it away, um, Ishmael it's he, he's already had to bind him and send him away but he sends him away you know with his mother in that instance but but he's sending him out into the wilderness sort of as as there's no place for them to go they don't have a home that they're going to go to in that place and here though he's to take his son and he's to take him up on the mountain he's to offer him as a burnt offering and it, we, he's not a child that, that's a misnomer to think of him as a child. He, he's maybe in his 30s, Isaac is. And so Abraham takes him, though, and then he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, third day comes up a lot, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then he said to his young man, men, you stay here with the donkey, i and the boy we we'll go over there and worship and come again to you. You notice he doesn't say, I and my son or I and Isaac. He, there's a distancing in the language that he used. He's creating distance here on the servants by leaving them behind. And then I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. There's a, but there's a statement that sounds like a statement of faith, although we don't know, does, does he say here? Because we, we know from Hebrews that they believe that he believed that that this would never come to pass but he didn't know how. Would it be resurrection or what? So he s- s- distanced himself at some level from a from his son by referring to him as the boy. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Can you imagine what that looks like? Can you imagine being uh, Abraham in this moment and doing this? This is an extraordinary step of faith and trust and love for God to believe that That he gave me this son and now he's taking him away from me and and yet i'll be obedient to what he's telling me to do because i know him and i have a history with him (laughs) and he took in his hand the fire and the knife so uh, here goes isaac burdened with this wood on his back as jesus was with the wood of the cross on his shoulders and abraham walking with him the fire and the knife So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. There's that word of relationship spoken back into this, and and it recalls Abraham to himself into this relationship and to this mission. And he said to him, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And again, so they went both of them together. When they first start, he's last referred to him as the boy, and he's treated him as though he's going to be the sacrifice, and he's prepared to do this thing. And you can just imagine that he's distancing himself in his own mind and in his heart from his son because it's too painful to contemplate it at that level. So so he's got to think about it in a different way. And then Isaac says, my father. And it's at that moment that he realizes, yes, this is my son that I'm taking up here to be the sacrifice. And then they come to the place where God had told him and he built the altar and there laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son. Tied him up and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Isaac had to have been a willing participant in this. I mean, it doesn't say Abraham snuck around behind him, hit him in the head with a rock, bound him up and put him on the on the uh, top of the wood. No, he it, it just he binds him, and so there's a trust between this father and this son that's extraordinary, and and the son just seems so passive in all of this. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. I mean, just let the weight of that language, kind of settle. He's going to slaughter him first. And then burn him up. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So when God first called, he calls him Abraham. Here, the, the sort of set in his mind thing requires the angel to call to him twice by name to stop him from this slaughter of his son. You can see this man so intent on doing what he has come here to do, knowing that psychologically he has to completely distance himself from it and to think in some other way and to to all the things that would have been running through his head at that moment. So the angel has to call him twice and he said, here here I am. And he said, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. And it's an interesting thing that the way that the the Jews will explain that statement right there is that Abraham was determined to do what God had told him to do. His only desire was to be obedient. And so when it says, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, the way that they look at that and explain that is, is that that he wanted so much to be obedient to God that he wanted to at least cut him a little bit. <laughs> that way, as I explained, explained to you yesterday with the, with the Jeremiah prophecy, that the, the prophet is... Um, validated by the the coming true of his prophecy here it's the he's called to do something and so to be told not to do any part of it it is repugnant to him because he feels like he's failed god if he's not obedient and that's the reason he says don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him because otherwise he's 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 got to be obedient to this voice at this time as opposed to being obedient to that first voice only. And it's, it, he, he's not going to make the mistake of the garden. God said, and therefore I should. And now he's it, got to re- be completely restrained. And what they say is that he was actually kind of disappointed at the end that that he didn't have an opportunity to be obedient to god's commandment to him to go sacrifice his son he says he says don't do anything to him for now i know that you fear god seeing that you have not withheld your son your only son from me so who is it that he's speaking to from me so this this angel of the lord is the lord who is he i'll leave that to you he says, I know now that you fear the Lord. Did he not know it before? Well, he had never been tested in that way. But he proved himself to, to trust God no matter what and, and to fear him enough to do anything he commanded him to do. But what he's also saying is, I'm not that kind of God. Th- those are the gods of the nations. That's not the kind of God you have. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So the Lord did provide. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it said on this day. To this day on the Mount of the Lord it shall be provided. They also believe that where this happens is on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. They believe that it's in the place where the temple was built. They believe also that that there's a lot of things that happen in that spot. But the the point is, is that Abraham was willing to do whatever it took, but so was Isaac, to fulfill all righteousness. And righteousness is whatever God says, right? So what happens here is, is that he's willing to do anything so long as he knows that it's the voice of the Lord calling him to do it. And he's willing to go with also the promise that God made him that it was through Isaac, that his line would be established so he had faith in what else God had told him. And that was that Isaac would be the child of the promise and and that this father of nations thing would come true through Isaac. But he had to give him to the Lord. He had to offer him to the Lord uh, in this way to prove himself. And Abraham certainly passed the test. It's a, it's a powerful and confusing and sort of horrifying story uh, from beginning to end. And yet the Lord does provide and gives all things that are necessary. He provides the sacrifice there on the altar. And so he received him back knowing something more about God and God knew more about Abraham his willingness to do whatever was required and that's what we see in Jesus is that he is willing to do whatever's required no matter how painful it might be and it's because of love of the world that he does these things and so after the crucifixion we pick up in this gospel reading from John's today after these things Joseph of Arimathea who was a disciple of Jesus but secretly for fear of the Jews because, remember, they had said, we're going to put anybody that follows him or considers themselves to be his disciple, we're going to put them out of the synagogues. And so he was going to be excommunicated from the community. Uh, and so he was quietly and secretly a disciple of Jesus. But here, he's coming out of the shadows and doing something incredibly public. The a body of those who were on the cross were intended to be taken down and then they, they were not to be there, certainly hanging overnight on the Passover or on the Sabbath either. And so they have to take down the body. But normally, those bodies of condemned men, they were, they were also accursed based on the law, that they, they were to be taken down and removed and thrown outside the city. They weren't to be given a proper burial because they were accursed by God. And so they were considered completely unclean. And unfit to be um, with the people of God, and even in even in in death. And so Joseph of Arimathea, though goes to Pilate, who must have been incredibly surprised because he would have known the traditions that had to do with um, crucified men and their bodies. He asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. You know, he was probably just shocked that anybody came to come and claim the body. But when Joseph does this, he is clearly making a statement that he is aligning himself with Jesus, and that he believes Jesus to have been an innocent man. So they came and took away the body. He came and took away the body. Nicodemus also who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. And so these are the spices and, and creams that are to be used to prepare this bloody and beaten body of Jesus that had just recently been crucified. So Nicodemus also comes out of the shadows and out of the darkness and, and makes a public declaration what he believes about Jesus. Both these men have made that declaration, what they believe is this was wrong, that this was an innocent man, and the proof is that they want the body of Jesus. It's a, a powerful faith statement, it's a, and, and it's, it, it's it could be very costly for these men to have made this public alignment with Jesus in this way. They're going to give him a proper burial when Jewish law says that that he doesn't deserve a proper burial. In fact, it's, it's nearly prohibited that you do this but they're saying we don't believe he's accursed we believe that he's an innocent man falsely accused tried by a kangaroo court and put to death and so they're willing to go and align themselves with jesus and with his disciples it had to be stunning and surprising for the disciples to hear that this had happened so they took the body of jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices as is the burial custom of the jews now, in the place where he was crucified, there's a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So they they couldn't do the work of preparation because we're coming up on the, the day of preparation for Passover, so they couldn't do the work of preparation. It would have been forbidden. So what they did was they said, okay, we're just going to go ahead and take him and put him in that tomb. There's nobody else there. It's a new tomb. And uh, no in which no one else has been laid, so they take Jesus and they put him there and and they wait they wait until the Sabbath is ended, so that they can go and prepare his body in the proper way, according to the customs of the Jews, which would have been something as I said that would have been prohibited, typically because he would have been considered accursed because he was hanged on a tree, and yet there still considering Jesus to be one that was loved. And so in spite of their misgivings, in spite of what what they know and what the cost will be, they decide, no, I'm going to align myself with him, that this is wrong. And so you see in in these two stories, what you see is people being obedient to God, whatever the cost to themselves personally might be and they're following Jesus' example, they see that I would rather be aligned with him than aligned with them. Abraham is willing to align himself with God, no matter what the cost to himself might be, because where else would he go? God, who's done all these things for him, who has prospered him and given him this son and made this covenant with him and made this promise with him. And so, you know, initially, he was when, when the covenant was cut, he wasn't asked to do anything except for gather the birds and and do all the things necessary to make the covenant ceremony work. So he, he was obliged to kill the birds and separate the carcasses and all that kind of stuff. And and then the way the covenant should have gone and would have gone in an ordinary covenant situation would be that each party would have gone between those th- those as a, as a symbol that said, as it's been done to these uh, birds, so be it unto me if I break the covenant. But Abraham wasn't asked to do that. He wasn't asked to go through those pieces because he's a human and he's fallible. And so God alone passed through. So the covenant is built on God's faithfulness, not on man's reciprocal faithfulness even. And so you see that. And then ultimately he gives him circumcision as a sign before the child is born. And, and so he's obedient to that and he circumcises all the males in his household in preparation for the fulfillment of the the covenant and then here what we get is ultimately i need i need a, not a statement of faith from you abraham exactly but it is what it is 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 that will you be faithful i'm going to test you this one time and ask you to be faithful in a hard circumstance and and that kind of faith is the call for christians it's what paul understood more nearly than anybody else That 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 faith of abraham the willingness to believe god when he made promises before he ever really knew anything about god and, and his willingness to do whatever god asked him to do no matter what the personal cost was to him and that's the way we're intended to live that's the way we're intended to live and treat every single thing in our lives. Everything can be precious to us, but it can't be more precious than he is. Because he made a declaration that that we were more pre- precious to him than the life of his son. And the son makes the declaration that that you're more precious to me than this unbroken fellowship that I have with the Father. And it's the attitude that we're supposed to take towards all things. We, we can love all things, but we can't set those things as our highest good. Our highest good has to be um, the love of God and the presence of God and the, the obedience to one who gave his son and didn't spare him so that we might live and have eternal life.